Watchful sat on the bench, a small fire in an iron kettle warming his body as the heavenly sound of singing saints filtering out through the window of the chapel warmed his soul. Watchful had a terrible singing voice and hated to sully the music of his brothers and sisters even out here, so he sat in silence and sang in his heart. He wished he could close his eyes, focus entirely on the song of worship, but he had to keep watch, even this morning. His eyes drifted along the soft canopy of trees and the three highest peaks of the delectable mountains rising up above it as the beautiful words permeated his soul. All glory be to thee, most high, to thee all adoration. In grace and truth thou drawest nigh to offer us salvation. Thou showest thy good will to men, and peace shall reign on earth again. We praise thy name forever. As he listened, he fished a clay pipe from his pocket, carefully packed the night before. He pushed a strip of cedar into the fire and, when it began to burn, used it to light the pipe, drawing in the sweet smoke and rolling it over his tongue, then releasing it in a thin stream so that it curled upward, like the visible manifestation of earnest praise going up to heaven, a burnt offering of old. The door at the corner of the house opened and Steadfast came out, a large cup gripped in his massive hand. I've brought you something, he said, extending the cup. Watchful accepted the warm vessel and inhaled its aroma deeply. I figured you could use it. Have I told you I love you, brother? Watchful laughed. I can't drink it without breakfast, Steadfast said, sitting down next to the porter. Comes back up my throat. I prefer it this way quickens me all the quicker on an empty stomach. They sat in silence, listening to the beautiful hymn and watching the last of the morning mist slowly burning off the mountains. Watchful took another sip and another pull on his pipe. My lady will have a fit if she sees you smoking that thing. Piety? Ah, oh, she's come around. She says she loves the smell now. Aye, it's Prudence who will have your head. I'll take my chances. Another wisp of white smoke came up from his mouth, and Watchful waited for it to disappear into the air above them. But it didn't. Rather, it seemed to turn black, chugging upward all the thicker, blotting out the sky behind it like a swarm of locusts coming up from the abyss. The pipe fell from Watchful's mouth and shattered against the ground, ejecting red-hot embers of tobacco onto his feet. Watchful stood and pointed to the distance. Look! Steadfast stood as well, his eyes fixed on the point from which the smoke was rising. Apollyon. He stood there, hand on his sword, frozen in a moment of helpless indecision. Christian, we have to... He's way down in the valley by now, Watchful said. We'd never reach him in time, but we can still help. Steadfast nodded and rushed back into the palace, down the narrow hall and into the chapel, slapping the door against the wall in the process. Black smoke, he cried. The singing came to a stop, and Expositor, who had been leading the song, asked, What is it, brother? The Destroyer. He's moving in the Valley of Humiliation, up the Pilgrim Road. Expositor nodded his understanding. Then let us leave off singing and return to our prayers for good Christian. High and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's Timeless Christian Allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 10 Black Smoke 
Christian followed the narrow way deeper and deeper into the valley. Like the terrain, the temperature was falling with unsettling speed, and the distant sound of desperate shrieks and whimpers seemed to be closing in all around him. But Christian pushed ahead all the same. The narrow path narrowed further, and the ground grew rockier and more uneven. Christian's confidence in his new armor, absolute just two hours ago, was flagging. It fit him quite snugly, yes, but the leather doublet and leggings holding it to his body were still stiff and unyielding, digging into his joints. Every step seemed to bring a knife's dull blade along the same raw lines in his flesh. Christian was thinking of stopping for a moment to sit and loosen his armor when he saw an enormous foul creature coming up from the misty distance to meet him. Fear banished all other thoughts and impulses from his mind and fixed his feet in place beneath him, even while it threatened to take his legs. Turn back, was his first thought, to his shame. Run, but he had no armor for his back. The only thing to do was stand and fight. Give me courage and strength to stand firm in the evil day, the pilgrim said aloud to the king of this land. With impossible speed for a creature its size, the beast closed the gap between them and drew up before him, towering over the pilgrim. The monster was hideous to behold. Long, curved horns like those of a ram crowned his devilish head. His body was clothed with scales like a fish. They clinked against each other, the sound of steel chains with each thick, noxious breath that chugged slowly in and out like a steam turbine. Stretched behind and above him were black, leathery wings, spanning at least twenty feet. From his lion's mouth belched fire and smoke. Glowing yellow eyes traced Christian's form from head to foot and back again. The creature scoffed. You will now tell me, he said, who you are, where you have come from, and where you are going. Christian looked down to his right hand, which a moment ago had been trembling, and placed it firmly upon the hilt of his sword. I am Christian, he answered. I come from the city of destruction, the place of all evil. I am going to the city of Zion. And who are you? I am Apollyon, the god and prince of your native land, your prince who now finds you fleeing to the realm of another. If I did not think you might yet be useful to me, I would cut you to pieces where you stand. What do you have to say for yourself, Christian? You are correct that I was born into your dominion, but your service was hard, and no man could live on your wages, for the wages of sin is death. And so I've followed the footprints of so many before me, and left your kingdom behind. <laughs> Apollyon laughed. Easy enough to say, but there is no prince alive who would suffer his subjects defecting to another's dominion without severe consequences. But to show you that I am a kind and benevolent ruler, and because you have struggled to live on your wages, I promise, come back with me, and whatever our country can afford to pay you, I will pay it. It's too late. And far too little. I've already given myself fully to another king. The king of princes. How could I possibly go back to you? Apollyon's lip curled back for a moment, revealing razor fangs glistening with viscous saliva. Not to worry, he said. It's very common for pilgrims like you, who have sworn their allegiance to this king, to lose heart or lose interest after a time, and then return again to me. If you do this, 
all will be well. What you're describing is a traitor, Christian said, and traitors are rightly hanged. You had no problem betraying your allegiance to me. Even so, all will be forgiven if you simply recant and come back home. Look, I didn't know any better when I served you. Now, I do. Besides, the prince under whose banner I now stand is the only one able to absolve and pardon all my crimes, including those I committed under your kingship. And frankly, I like his service, his wages, his servants, his company, and his country better than yours. No, move aside. I am following after him now. The creature folded his wings behind him, looking smaller now. He pulled his tarish lips into a thin smile that concealed his fangs and said, Let's be logical. Consider what lies ahead, the trials and dangers and snares, and how you will face them all feeling far less courageous than you feel even now, standing before me. Consider that most of this king's servants come to a brutal and painful end at my hand. And consider that I came here, into his domain, in person, to bring you back home. Something I have done for countless confused subjects, breaking them free of his grip by brute force or clever schemes. And so I will deliver you as well. Would your king of princes do that for you? I think not. You're wasting your foul breath and revealing yourself to be a liar, for my prince did go into your domain to save his own. And now, while he calls us to come out of your damned land, he has a purpose in that as well, to test our love and prove whether we will be loyal to the end. And as for the shameful and painful deaths that so many have suffered before me, they have cause to rejoice, knowing that they will be received into sudden and eternal glory. Pilgrims do not expect deliverance now, but are content to wait for future glory, when our king will ride down on your country on a white horse of war with all his holy angels, and us behind him. Apollyon's pale talons clenched and unclenched, and a ribbon of purplish smoke streamed from his nose. Do you really think that you will escape on that day? You've already failed so many times since you took to walking this road. Indeed, I have fallen, probably more than you even know, but I have obtained pardon for each and every sin because my king is the king of mercy. The massive wings shot open again with a concussive wump that almost knocked Christian onto his back. I am an enemy of this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and his people, and I am more than enough to keep you from going further along the way. Consider well what you do next, pilgrim. Careful, Christian warned. We are on the king's highway, the way of holiness. You are the one who should watch his step. Apollyon stretched his bear-like foot out to his left, straddling the entire breadth of the path. I am void of fear, he growled, and of further patience. Now, prepare to die, for I swear by my own fiery throne that I will spill your soul. And with that, he lit a javelin with a blue flame from out of his mouth and hurled it at Christian, who brought up his shield just in time to glance the projectile off into the woods beyond. Christian drew his sword and pounded his fist against his breastplate. I will withstand you, he cried out. A wave of burning darts lit up the darkness around him. Christian dove, rolled, and came up to a tight crouch behind his shield. He almost cried out in pain, but swallowed it back down. His foot had been pierced by a dart through a seam in the armor, 
He pulled it out and tossed it aside, allowing himself a quick glance to survey the damage. He saw that the heat from the dart had cauterized the wound. No blood leaked from the blackened hole, although a wisp of steam was curling up from it. Shaking off the paralysis of fear and the narcotic effect of the growing black smoke, Christian raised his sword once again and lowered his shield an inch beneath his eyes. Instantly, a dart struck his hand, knocking the sword from it, and another connected with his helmet, rocking his senses and throwing him down onto his back. He looked up at the dull gray sky spinning slowly above him for just a moment before his field of vision was filled with the demonic creature's form. You fall easy. Like your pathetic prince before you, give him my regards. From behind his blackened wings, he drew a long and jagged sword, which he brought down onto Christian's prone body with all of his hellish might. Christian raised the shield to meet the blow, which glanced off to his side, grazing the pilgrim's left arm in the process. He gaped at the shield, which was now half the size it had been a moment earlier. Then he saw the sword lying there, within reach, Grasping desperately for the weapon, he swung his shield at the beast, followed by a blind, flailing blow with the blade. He did no damage to the enemy, but managed to roll to his feet once again. As he righted his helmet, thanks and remorse intermingled in his mind. By God's grace, he was alive to fight on, but he'd missed a great opening. When the beast was rearing back, Christian's own sword had been within reach. God had granted him a clear way of victory, and he'd missed it. Wasted it. All right, Christian said. This is your last chance. Lay down your weapon and surrender, or die at the edge of my blade. (laughs) Faithful had no sense of the hour. He would have guessed it was mid-morning, but the sky was growing darker with each downward step that he took. For quite some time, it had seemed almost on the verge of total darkness, and yet it never quite arrived. To keep his spirits from falling, he repeated scriptures to himself. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, he said, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He'd hoped these words would make the darkness wane. Instead, they brought his solitude to mind once again. Fellowship one with another sounded incredible, but of course it required another. Then, as if in answer to a prayer not yet offered, a man overtook him along the road and fell in step alongside him. He looked a bit familiar to Faithful, although his name would not come to mind. Hello, the man said. Good day to you, Faithful replied. The man's eyes were unhappy, and his tone as well, but Faithful told himself this traveler might be feeling the same lack of fellowship that plagued him. Perhaps they could cheer each other up. Do I know you? Faithful asked. I think you might. My name is Discontent of Grimbleton. I'm Faithful, born and raised in the City of Destruction, but now on my way to the Celestial City. Well, that answers it, Discontent said, perking up a bit. I have family in your hometown, and I've visited many times. In fact, I believe you and I have tipped back more than a few pints over the years. The Red Horse, right? You're you're friends with Revelry. Friends, yes, and he was my business partner for years. Huh, the man said thoughtfully. What on earth did he think of your going on a religious quest to the Celestial City? If I'm honest, not much. I wouldn't think so. 
They walked in silence for a minute or two before Faithful asked, Well, what do you think of it? Of pilgrimage? Aye. The pilgrimage that has you here in this valley? The same. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, this valley is altogether without honor. I sure wouldn't want my friends to know I'd been here. Then why are you here? He leaned in and spoke softly. I am looking for a treasure. It's an odd story. I won a treasure map in a game of cards in the town of Fairspeech. I doubt there's anything to it, but I have to check for my own satisfaction. The spot is just up ahead here. I'll have a look and head back as it happens to the City of Destruction. Why don't you come with me, Faithful? I'll even cut you in on the treasure, if there is one. Go back? No, I wouldn't think of it. That place is doomed, and its people in utter denial, perhaps none more than revelry. Discontent shook his head with disdain. Are you really so taken in? How can you not see that this whole enterprise of yours is a great offense to all your friends and family back home? All those young, carefree men and women you used to spend your evenings with? A pride, arrogance, self-conceit, worldly good? If they saw you making such an ass of yourself, they'd disown you. These people were indeed my friends at one time, and in fact, two of them were my family, according to the flesh. But the last time I saw them, every one of them, to a man, had joined an angry mob intent on stringing me up. So you see, there is no danger of them disowning me now, for they did that the moment I became a pilgrim, and I have in turn rejected them. Discontent frowned even deeper. All the same, you can't deny that walking willfully into humiliation is a foolish and shameful thing. Sir, I'm afraid you've quite missed the point. Before honor is humility, whereas a haughty spirit comes before a fall. I would rather pass through this valley to the honor that lies beyond, counted such by the wisest, than try to impress the likes of revelry or arrogance, or you for that matter, and find myself falling to my death. Discontent just shrugged and slunk his shoulders low. Maybe you should check that map of yours, Faithful said. We wouldn't want you to miss your great treasure, would we? The pilgrim Christian and the creature Apollyon had been locked in combat for more than an hour when the beast drew back a few massive steps and leaned upon his sword, breathing heavily. Christian also seized the opportunity to rest, sitting back against a felled tree. You cannot possibly think yourself more powerful than my lord, Christian said. He created the world and everything in it. What have you done? I concede that your lord has done some mighty deeds, and that he is holy, and that it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands. And for that reason, I again urge you to renounce him and join me, for my spies have been filling my ears with tales of your betrayal against this lord. You must realize that even if you do arrive at the city you seek, you will only be ushering yourself into judgment. Christian knew it was fruitless to engage with this lying beast, but he coveted a bit more time to replenish his strength, and so he asked, Pray tell me, in what way have I been unfaithful to him? <laughs> Where to even begin? Why, upon first setting out, you were almost choked to death in the Gulf of Despond. My spies saw you seeking after wicked ways to be rid of your burden and nearly paying the ultimate price at the foot of the hill legality. 
My agents took note as you sinfully slept and lost your choice things. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions, and even when you talk of your journey on the narrow road of what you have seen and heard and done, you inwardly desire vain glory in all you say. Need I go on? But you speak of debts paid, stains washed clean. As I have said, my lord has pardoned me for all these transgressions. There is no pardon for sin like yours, the creature roared. Willful, wicked, profane, abandon hope, graceless, for it is an illusion. Christian stood again. Your lies are empty and powerless to one who knows the truth. Then let us leave off words and come again to blows. Apollyon rushed forward, swinging his massive sword. Christian brought his own blade up to meet it. He was pushed back the space of three steps, his feet sliding in the dirt. But his arms did not fail, and his sword did not break. Shame watched Faithful draw near the bottom of the valley. He hid, shrouded back in total darkness, and prepared himself. He had to time this just right. The report from discontent had been so disappointing that Shame had lashed out at his associate, turning some of his unique ammunition upon discontent, burying him in self-loathing until he fell to the ground, crippled by weaponized humiliation. On any other ground, Shame and discontent might have been evenly matched, but here, in this valley, it was an easy victory. In the last moments before emerging from his hiding place, Shame closed his eyes and thought of Faithful, and as he thought, his appearance began to change. His body, thin and willowy in build, began to grow, his jaw squared down, his chin stretched out, and his chest puffed up. Clearing his throat, he said, Okay, Mr. Faithful, let's see how you handle a real trial. Just as Faithful put his foot down on the lowest point of the valley, where heavy black smoke was pooled up to his knees, Shame emerged from the wood and approached him casually. Well, he said, I did not think I'd find a fellow traveler here. What on earth are you doing? I'm on pilgrimage. And you? Pilgrimage? You mean like pilgrimage pilgrimage? A religious journey? Superstition and the like, devils and angels, the, the holy trinity and life everlasting. Faithful narrowed his eyes. What of it? I'm surprised is all. You look like a real man. But there's no more pitiful, low, sneaking business for a man than religion. Why do you say that? The man scoffed. I'll tell you. But first, you tell me this. Are there true and false religions? To be certain. And what makes the difference between them? Faithful thought for a moment. Well, for one thing, true religion is marked by a tender conscience before the Lord. The man laughed. There, you see. Is there anything less manly than a tender conscience? You are wrong there, my friend. In fact, or for a so-called man to watch over his words and his ways and, and tie himself up and hold himself back from true liberty? The, the, the liberty of brave spirits? Well, such a man would deserve to be the ridicule of this age. Faithful folded his arms over his chest. You say that religion is unmanly. I say it's quite the opposite. And since I have no idea who you are or what gives you the right to make such pronouncements, I really don't care what you think. Then forget about me. Think bigger. 
Consider how many of the mighty, rich, or wise ever agreed with you on the subject. And even if you could name one or two, I'll show you how they were persuaded to be fools and lost all they had chasing such nonsense. Or just look around at your fellow pilgrims and see their lowly condition, their ignorance, their lack of knowledge and education, rubes, all of them, absolute rubage. Perhaps it was the combination of the Valley of Humiliation and these two antagonistic companions, but Faithful was having no more of this, and said, Clearly the opinions of others are far more important to you than they are to me. Unlike you, I do not need the prating praise of men to find worth in my creed or my conduct. I suppose that's one way to look at it, but consider- What is your name, sir? I'm called Shane. Huh. I believe you are misnamed, for you are a bold villain indeed. Perhaps they should call you Shameless. Perhaps. After all, while I bear the name, you are the one so wrapped up in religious delusions, all of which are a very shame. It is a shame to sit whining and mourning under a sermon. It is a shame to come sighing and groaning home. It is a shame to beg your neighbor to forgive you for petty faults or to make restitution for things you've taken. A real man takes what he can get and then takes some more. A real man demands his liberty no matter what, in every situation. And what's more, Faithful, when I look into your eyes, I see such a real man. Tell me I'm wrong. Shame, you've got it all backwards. These libertines you describe are weak. They're cowards. It requires no courage for a man to let the lust of his flesh drag him around by the nose. On the contrary, those libertines are brave, stunningly brave, and if you intend to continue on this narrow road, you'd better man up yourself, because I'll tell you, when you've come up out of this valley, another waits just beyond it, the valley of the shadow of death, and it makes this place look like a, a picnic at the seashore. Do yourself a favor and put this sentimental foolishness behind you. It's a bunch of trouble and danger, and the only reward is to be thought a, a half-wit and a milksop by your fellows. Faithful looked this man in the eye and asked, Have you ever heard of a man named Adam I? Why, yes, that old man is a, a dear friend of mine. In fact, he taught me everything I know. Yeah, that figures. Shame I see you for what you are. You are no fellow traveler at all, but a servant of the enemy sent to arrest my progress, or worse. So I'm going to tell you what I told your friend, Adam. I'm heading up out of this valley. If you follow me one step, I will throttle you. Feel free to test me in this, if you really want to find out who's more of a man. Christian slammed his shoulder into Apollyon's hip, hoping to knock his legs out from beneath him. Instead, the pilgrim bounced off and fell to the ground, rolling over quickly and rising again to his feet. The weary pilgrim wondered how long he had been fighting. Here in the thick of the black smoke, it seemed as though struggling against this beast was all he'd ever done. The darkness of the sky overhead compounded the sensation. Although, as the two combatants again withdrew a few paces from each other to rest, Christian noticed that the slight distant glow, which had shown in the eastern sky when they first engaged, had now moved to the west. We've been fighting for more than half the day. Then, looking up at his enemy, another realization followed. This creature is not recovering out of necessity, like I am. 
He's been taking advantage of these, these interludes to weaken my spirit with his words. I know your mind, Pilgrim, Apollyon was saying. Your thoughts return to that man on the tree, that twisted, bleeding, defeated man. Perhaps you have more in common with him than you even thought, bleeding and defeated as you are. Don't you speak of him. Don't you dare. <laughs> the beast laughed. Don't speak of that penniless, pathetic coward who died humiliated as the most repugnant of criminals? I suppose, then, that I should not talk of his illegitimate birth, his ignoble boyhood, or the bands of outcasts, whores, drunkards, and rabble that he called his closest friends. Rabble that left him to bleed and die alone. Fitting, though no less than he deserved. Righteous rage flashed up Christian's spine, and he rushed the monster, swinging his sword with all his might, intent on decapitating his foe. But at the last moment, the creature spread his wings and shot up into the shrouded sky, hovering there 20 feet above the earth, <laughs> laughing uproariously. From there, he launched still more flaming darts down upon Christian, proclaiming, I am the prince of the power of the air. I am not suspended here by nails, but am enthroned in might to be worshipped by you mortal fools. Now, bow down before me. Fear, wrath, and confusion swirled in Christian's breast as he crouched beneath his shield. Then, a bird lighted on his forearm. A soft, white dove tilting its head as if to look Christian right in the eye. A deep and abiding peace came over him. Peering out from behind the shield, Christian smiled at his adversary and said, I see that you're afraid to face me on level ground, Apollyon. Can't say that I blame you. The enemy's only response was to pull his wings back and roar down into the pilgrim, slamming him to the ground and pressing hard into him, crushing him against the earth. Feeling his bones bending, threatening to collapse in on all his vitals, Christian called out to God, in his mind, for his lungs were failing him. He struggled to free himself, but it was hopeless. His left hand was trapped between himself and Apollyon, inert and useless. His right arm was free, but no longer holding the sword, which had flown from his hand on impact, off into the distance where it now glinted in the veiled light some fifteen feet away. And while Christian could not see his shield, he was sure that it was somewhere behind him, also out of reach, and useless in this moment. Out of sheer panic, he grabbed one of Apollyon's horns, jerking it hard to the side with a burst of strength, hoping to snap the creature's neck, but the beast just chuckled darkly and overpowered the pilgrim, the sinewy muscles of his neck sliding visibly beneath his hide as he turned his head, bringing the horrifying image of Apollyon's face within inches of Christian's. I am sure of thee now, Apollyon rasped, his breath stinking of sulfur. His glowing eyes seemed to hypnotize the pilgrim and steal what little courage remained. Christian felt the last vestiges of fight ebbing away, even as the monster pushed down all the harder, the blade of his glowing sword now burning against the pilgrim's neck and his serpent's tongue sliding up over Christian's face, leaving a trail of slime. Yes, I am sure of thee now. Just as Christian was on the verge of giving in to his fate, the dove returned, lighting upon Apollyon's head right between the horns, distracting him for a moment. A glint of light from beside them revealed a sudden hope to Christian. His sword lay to his right just five feet away, 
Whether their wrestling had brought them closer to it, or whether the Lord himself had brought it near by miraculous means, Christian did not know, nor did he care at the moment. Lurching for the weapon, he found its handle and struck with a frantic half-swing, half-stab, which managed to open the beast beneath his left arm. Apollyon cried out in pain and rage, and Christian rolled out from beneath him. He stood and shouted the words, Rejoice not against me, you foul beast, for when I fall, I shall rise again. The demon straightened up as well, but wincing and groaning all the while. Christian rushed his enemy, chopping like a woodsman with an axe upon the monster's left arm. The blade embedded itself so deep that the pilgrim had to pivot on his hip to dislodge it. Apollyon's arm went limp, his sword hanging impotently at his side, still locked in the leathery talon. He looked down at it in bewilderment for a moment before coming to himself and drawing another dart from beneath his wings. He held it up to his mouth to light it, but only a pathetic orange spark came forth. And in that moment, Christian took a long stride forward and buried the two-edged sword in the monster's belly, sliding it up between two scales, all the way to the hilt. Feeling the monster's shallow, ragged breath on his face, Christian looked up into those yellow eyes and said, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then he withdrew his sword slowly, slicing downward as he pulled and feeling dense, sticky entrails splitting open within the beast. When the tip of the blade emerged, the angry wound belched forth thick red tar, which seeped down Apollyon's body. Christian took two long steps back and stomped the curved edge of the shield, launching it up into his waiting hand. Raising sword and shield before him, he smirked at his bleeding foe and said, Tell me then, you vile son of hell, are you sure of me now? The yellow glow of the beast's eyes flickered out twice, then returned, far dimmer than before. He looked down at his bleeding torso, then back up at the pilgrim, in shock and disbelief. Then he opened his dragon's wings, turned away, and tried to take flight, but before he'd risen far into the sky, he began to spin back down in a wide arc, tumbling against the ground, and then scampering away in an uneven, faltering gait toward the distant tree line. During Faithful's ascent out of the Valley of Humiliation, he was no longer wishing for a companion. Having done away with two wicked fools who would have gladly pulled him down to hell with them, he was quite content to travel on his own, for now. And he was sure he would emerge from the valley quite soon, at which point he planned to build a fire and eat the rest of the food Watchful had given him. But then he had a sudden sense that he was not alone. It began with a voice in his ear. This is foolishness. You are being foolish. Were you raised to be foolish? Oh, your father would be quite ashamed to see how far his son has fallen. Faithful stopped and spun around. He saw no one. The words were very much like those of shame, but the voice was not. He resumed his climb and again heard that voice right in his ear. You know shame better than most, don't you? You've already fallen. You're compromised. Do you really think you escaped that woman wanton? Faithful tried to block the noise out by singing a hymn at the top of his lungs, but still he heard it in his very soul. She pulled away from you, and you very nearly followed. And speaking of pulling, we both know what happened at the foot of Hill Difficulty when Adam the First pulled on you. 
You haven't spoken of it to anyone, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Faithful stopped again, but this time closed his eyes and prayed for discernment, for eyes to see and a sober mind to judge. When he opened them, he saw Shame, now scrawny and fey, but clearly the same man he'd met, dressed in the same clothes. His mouth twisted into a wicked smile as he spoke again, clearly believing himself to be hidden from sight. You know it's true. Stop trying to be something you're not. Faithful gripped him around the neck and marched him backwards five steps into the trunk of a tree where he pinned the pitiful man. You are going to shut up, Faithful said, and I'm going to say something. Agreed? Shame nodded as much as the meat of Faithful's hand permitted. Good. You see, you seem to be under the impression that I want to be highly thought of by the world. I don't. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the Lord. And, and I noticed something about you. While you've been running your oily little mouth, you've told me an awful lot about what men are, but you've said nothing about who God is or what his word is. On that great and terrible day of the Lord, I will not be cast into hell or welcomed into heaven according to the spirits of this world, but according to the wisdom and law of the Most High. If I am ashamed of my Lord now, he will be ashamed of me at his coming. And so it's clear that what God says is best, even if the whole world is against it. And that includes a tender conscience, a heart that seeks forgiveness and the wisdom of God, which is the foolishness of men. I mean, the things you most disdain are the things in which I see the most glory. You, shame, are an enemy of my salvation. You will try in vain to attempt further business with me. I will spare you just this once. Return now to whatever corner of hell you've come from, for if I find you haunting me along the way, whispering in my ear, as you were just now, I will make a spectacle of you that will, well, <laughs> it will put you to shame. He released the grip on Shame's throat, and the thin figure stumbled a few steps before looking up into the sky. As soon as his eyes fell upon a broken plume of black smoke, he turned his back to it and ran in the opposite direction. When he'd gone, the clouds parted, and the late afternoon sun warmed Faithful the rest of the way out of the Valley of Humiliation. Christian watched Apollyon disappear into the trees. He thought for a moment about giving chase, but decided against it, primarily because he was too exhausted to take another step. Instead, he yelled out after him, The Lord rebuke you, Apollyon, you destroyer, destined to be destroyed by his might! Then turning his head toward the twisting tower that jutted into the sky beyond the high wall, he shouted, Great Beelzebub, your captain is defeated! Do you hear me, you vile serpent? Beelzebub, you need not fear me, for I am frail, feeble, and fallible, but fear the one who goes beside me, before me, and behind me, for greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Then he turned his voice to heaven and began to praise his God. O oh God of this road, of this country, of the blessed city that lies beyond the delectable mountains, you are my salvation in every trial, every day, every moment. The enemy sent his hellish fiend to bring me low, but you sent your captain too. Blessed Michael helped me, your strong hand upheld me, and by your might, my meager strength sent him flying. And so I say, 
to you be everlasting praise. To you be thanks and honor. May I always bless your holy name forever and ever, world without end. Christian's legs almost buckled beneath him, and he hunched over, hands on his knees, to assess his condition. He had not come through unscathed. His head was pounding. His hand ached where the sword had been knocked from it, so that it was now difficult to open and close. His ankle was burned where he'd pulled the dart free. Drawing back the greave, he examined the flesh, which resembled an animal carcass turning on a spit. But worst of all, he was suddenly aware of a gash in his side, behind the breastplate, where Apollyon had reached around him with his claws and ripped the flesh right down to the bone. Christian slumped to the ground and wondered if he had perhaps celebrated too soon. The thrill of the fight now subsiding, a wall of pain came up behind it, and with every move, every breath, it welled up higher. The sound of footsteps to his right brought a flash of alarm, a mere formality, as there was no way the pilgrim could act on it. Had Apollyon circled around to come and finish him off? Christian tried to sit up, but found it impossible for the pain in his side. Rest easy, pilgrim came a soothing voice. Christian rolled his head to see one of the Shining Ones approaching. In his hand, he held a bunch of lush green leaves. These are from the Tree of Life, he said, pushing them to Christian's side. The wounded pilgrim could feel the blood stop leaking from the gash, and then the wound itself closing up. Still, it ached, and Christian had a sense that this pain would be with him for some time to come. Thank you he said to the Shining One. I'm glad it was you and not the enemy, for I am without strength. Did your sisters give you nothing to eat or drink? Christian remembered the food in his bag, and with some difficulty made his way to it, and withdrew the bread, which he wolfed down, followed by some of the wine. He felt his strength returning. Rest for a time, good pilgrim, the Shining One said. But do not sleep, not here. When you have come up out of this valley, there is another, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Uh, I'd just as soon skip that one, Christian said. Perhaps you would, but you must pass through it, for the way to the Celestial City lies through its midst. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's Classic Manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, High and Silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, copyright 2001 by Crossway, used by permission, all rights reserved. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and Silver. Good. Check. Right.